1: everybody, my name is Neil White and this is the Big Interview Q&A show, a special one today with me, Graham Hunter, host of the Big Interview, and Pete Jensen of La Liga Television, who is our guest for these monthly shows. Today we're looking at the Champions League final that takes place tomorrow in Portugal between Chelsea and Manchester City. To start though, we want to look at the Champions League final from 10 years ago, Wembley Stadium, Manchester United versus Barcelona, and Pep Guardiola's crowning achievement with a team some people have as the best of all time. Guardiola, of course, is at the helm of the City side going for a treble of League Cup, Premier League and Champions League. But how does this version of Pep compare to the man who took Barcelona to those incredible heights in 2011 and how have his big ideas changed? Graham Hunter is too modest to tell you that he was hanging out with Pep this week for one of those interviews he does for other people. Graham, you spoke to Pep in 2011... How would you compare those two guys and what was Pep like when you caught up with him this
2: week? You know, the difference I'm about to point out may be to do with me being a complete pain in the arse, but I did interview Pep in 2011, just before Wembley, having interviewed him in 2009, just before Rome. And in that Wembley moment, UEFA said to him, okay, you're a finalist now, uh, let's have your mandatory interview. And he was like, mm, no. And they're like, what? He said, I- I'll do something for the programme. Um, I'll sit down, but no cameras, no photography, and uh, only one person's allowed in. So the UEFA chief who was coming with me to coordinate, it wasn't allowed in. And we went into his offices um, at the training ground, passed the outer office was where Tito Villanova, the, the late Tito Villanova, sat almost like a sort of, um, not, not quite like a guard dog, but it, it did feel like you had to get past Tito first to go into Pip's um, inner sanctum, and when we sat there in 2011, he, he kind of... I fed him some of the same lines uh, as 2009, just to see if he wanted to develop on them. <laughs> Instead, he wanted to go in completely the other direction. Um, in 2009, it was a big deal to him that during the economic crisis with people he knew having lost their jobs and, and worrying for their, what's it hipoteca, mortgages, he, he felt that the way that Bolsonaro had had you know, risen like a phoenix and and played attractive daring football in two thousand and nine and that treble had been of, of value to society, value to the people who who weren't necessarily in his environment but were fans of Bustle and had something to cling on to. So I threw some of that back to him But so look is Alex Ferguson again, he's always been daring front foot and your team, you always want your team to be attractive in and he's <laughs> No, 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 no. <laughs> so we only play this way to win. There is no correlation between the way we play in 2011, ahead of Wembley having knocked out Real Madrid in one of the most dramatic European semi-finals of all time. It's only about winning. Entertainment is a byproduct, and so we had what was a perfectly interesting and amenable 25 minutes. The the piece was written for the program. And although I've been in his presence and interviewed him a little bit since, um, the, the, the the most important set to came uh, the other day with, with Pep on Zoom and me on Zoom. And the difference, not just the difference in that interview, but you know Neil, you helped uh, publish a book that, that Pep was a real close collaborator in. Pete knows um, Pep's Close associates, family, very, very well. We've each of us had exposure to the the, the, the Pep Guardiola that you see on camera, that you see, that exists off camera, and in his um in his moments of no not, not doubt but self reflection and and first of all this time I saw a guy um, that was. Hugely relaxed It was off the back of the Brighton game So he shouldn't have been He was in a good mood He he was happy He wanted to talk Maybe you were asking about the differences In football terms But but people would be um, equally good Better about describing that And I'm sure we'll get into it But he isn't the same man He He's as competitive He is as spiky y- you, you want to be very careful About when you tread on his toes, and how you say things, because he's he's sharp and he's quick, and he's not at all afraid of of jutting his chin out. But the pet that I talked to was articulate and interesting and wanted to be on these subjects, and that made it that made it fun and it made it a little bit different from two thousand eleven version. Did he say when he's coming on the the big interview? Give has he given us a date? He said. He said he was pissed off Actually, so I'm glad you raised this. He says you, you don't pick up when he calls. He's a liar. He's playful. I said, playful. yeah, that, that's, that's Neil. That's Neil. Okay, we have a
1: first question from a associate today. Ian Body. thank you very much for sending this one in. Why did Pep really leave Football Club Barcelona? At the time, he said he'd run out of gas and cited Christ's view that a coach should only stay three seasons. Has that changed as he's now extending his stay at City or... Did his journey via Germany lead him to want to build something similar to Bayern, which he couldn't have done at Barcelona? Pete, has Pep's longevity at City surprised you, given what we saw towards the end of his tenure at Camp Nou? Uh,
3: it hasn't, it hasn't. It has in the sense that he did seem as if he was set to always, you know, just spend three, three years at a club. Um, but it hasn't because I think he, in some ways, has run out of alternatives. And that's not... You know that sounds like a, a harsh thing to say about City and about the Premier League, but I think where would he go now? He does not want to come back to Barcelona. He could not possibly go anywhere else um, in Spain. Um, He's—I mean, Italy maybe would be an option. I don't think I don't really see him in 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 League One. International management will probably be the next step, but um, I think that's paid a that's played a part in his decision to stay at City, the fact that where else am I going to be better off? Um, So in that sense, it hasn't surprised me.
1: And then just sort of more broadly, this kind of change of um, philosophy. And and Ian asks specifically whether it was just burnout that, that brought his time at Barcelona to an end, you know, this far removed from those events. Have we learned anything else about his final days at Barcelona?
2: No, well... Well, hold hold on. If we go to the to the grain of Ian's question, um, we already knew when Sandro Rosé won the elections in twenty ten that pep had him pegged as a one and that's being generous to Sandrusco. Um Their relationship already wasn't great. Uh, Erstein had seen the election of um, of that president as as a reason to leave. In the interview, I didn't ask him about leaving in 2011, but when I asked him about the atmosphere of the final in 2011, and whether there were things to, to take forward from the preparation, from the, the mental state, from the Wembley era to, to now, in the midst of his answer, he said, um, after the Wembley victory, I felt something was over and that it was time to move on. In the end, I stayed for a year. Retrospectively, he looks on that year as a mistake. He realised it was a mistake very early in the preseason for his last season. Um, in Take the Ball, um, both um, Danny Alves and Victor Valdez talk about the intense change they saw in him, how irritable he was, how he would ball out previously trusted lieutenants on the pitch lieutenants. in in training over very little. And it it wasn't so much about what the players were actually doing. It was about him cursing himself, going, this has been a mistake. I've made a mistake. And um, so, Ian, that that last... Cruyff said before the Wednesday final, this is the time to leave. Um, It's not that Pep ignored him. It was the, the sort of supernova effect of the way they won. And the plaudits afterwards and the feeling that maybe there was one more Champions League to compensate for the one that they shouldn't have lost the previous year in 2010 Um, and therefore from that mistake bred um, real uh, um, would you say self-recrimination I think from from Pep and a deep dislike of Rosé which it's not hard to share and therefore the leaving was delayed by a year, it was, it, it, it slightly besmirched the, and and Take the Ball says that even on that last day of reign at Barcelona when they win, in fact I walked off that, that do you remember Pete, that pitch, walking off that pitch at the Calderon, he stopped and he pepped with a, a photographer he knew to pose with the cup about 12 feet from us. Uh, as, as we walked across the cup final pitch and out down this uh, vehicle tunnel at the end, it was, it's mental that you could do that. And I don't know what your memories of it, Pete, are, but just to be within 10 feet of that moment, they were radiating happiness and it felt great. Of course, Estiarti has said that on that pitch, before the final, after the final, it was a really bittersweet feeling because he and Pep felt. Betrayed, he felt. They both felt that people now in power at um, at Camp Now since the elections w- were trying to menace w- We're trying to drag down the who'd achieved these things and to make it seem as if it's just the greatness of Barcelona had won all the things and the Pep and his new ideas and, and disciplines weren't all that important. So, Ian, it, it was a bittersweet. Leave and his relationships at Pus, uh, by Bayern Munich, were even though there were ex players and one on the board who, who d- who didn't believe in in the in the passing to create space, passing to drag your opponents about. Uh, uh, everybody else who knows anything, Rumanig particularly senior footballers at that club, Lamb is devoted to him. They all knew that they'd never played anything like that, that Bayern Munich had never seen anything like that, and the only thing that was missing was the Champions League.
3: There was a sense also in 2011 that they'd reached perfection, I think, or he'd reached perfection, and we know that he's a perfectionist, and I think that was part of the reason why he thought this might be the time to go, even though he ended up staying for another year, because... Mm, the the closest thing I've seen to football perfection is, is 2009, when, when they go to the Bernabeu and beat Real Madrid 6-2, and when it's Henri um, and Eto either side of Messi, and they've got Yaya Torre pounding his way through the middle of the pitch. But that's not Pep's version of perfection. Pep's version of perfection is with little Pedro and little Villa either side of Messi, and, and Busquets, Xavi and Iniesta in midfield. And... Um, I just think it was so good against United, and they were, you know, they were so invincible at that stage, that he thought to himself, as a perfectionist, where do you go from here? This is as close to perfection as is going to be, and then onto the backdrop of of all the other things that Graham's talked about. Um, we can't forget the Mourinho effect as well that had taken so much out of him, um, so exhaustion, and also the point of. You know, reaching the point where you think this is maybe not going to get any better, we should. We're going to have to. It's like you know, Che Guevara causing a revolution in one country and then thinking, "Well, I've done that, and I need to go and cause a revolution in another country now." Rather than staying to to kind of to see it through until it until it almost loses its its essence, as it were. Um, so why not go and try and do? What everyone said was impossible. You can't. You can do this at Barcelona. You can do this in Spain. You're not going to be able to do it in the Bundesliga, and you're definitely not going to be able to do it in England. And that's what he's ultimately proved people wrong on.
2: Viva la revolución! Viva la, la revolución! Let, let, let's draw the line, though, because Ian deserves the last part of the answer, which is that if you look at the the, the late insecurity at Barcelona because of Rosé, and if you look at the lack of the Champions League at Bayern, which was a stone in his shoe, he, he's, he treats the Champions League like like it's an individual beast with a character of its own, irrespective of your rival, and talks at length about how hard it is to win. Um, but at City, think about what he's got around him. The owner is devoted to him, has given him complete confidence, irrespective of whether they're at the highest or, or mid-ebb of what Guardiola was bought the City for. He's got Ferran uh, Soriano, who was one of the main architects of creating the right environment at Camp Nou. And he's got Chiki Pekerstein with whom he's been playing football since 1990, or, or working with. And therefore, if you take what he experienced at, at Football Club Barcelona, for good and bad, in Munich, whereby it, it, was, it was close to Nirvana because they gave him carte blanche, they wanted him to stay... And this time he went, no, I know when I'm going. I know when the end is. And although he wanted to be at Manchester United and expected Manchester United to sign him, um, this I know is a fact, what he's found at City is the hybrid of everything that he wanted. An extremely good squad, their willingness to rebuild it, um, total control over all the matters that are important to him. And above it, he doesn't have to manage up. He's got people above him who understand him, who trust him and who allow him to do the best work. So in that instance, you know, I, I think Ian should look at the context of City through the, the, the sort of wing mirror of looking back at what's, what what type of pet we've got now.
3: And just one more reason as to, as to why he stayed for longer. I also think he wants to prove that, you know, he can bring players through and, he was criticised so often in the first couple of years of, you know, you, all well and good, you're bringing through the, the young Catalan lads in, in, in Barcelona. When are we are going to have someone from the academy come through? And Brahim Diaz goes off um, and Sancho goes off. Um, but now we've got Foden and, and, and Foden is looking like he's going to be sensational. Um, so that so that process takes time. And, 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 and if you want to do that, you can't be in and out in three years. Because um, of the three that come through that everyone else thinks is a world beater, Pep only thinks one is. Uh, and he has to wait for that player to to, 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 to mature and develop. And, and even this first half of this season, he still wasn't in the team regularly, was he? But now he's, you know, he'll be a starter on t-
1: uh, tomorrow for sure. On to um, the final. Well, let's take a quick break. And then our sponsors at bet Five have asked us which members of this City team would get into the 2011 Barcelona Lineup from, from Wembley. Quick break now. We'll be back with Pete and Graham's answers to that one very soon.
4: Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at cerebral.com/podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details.
0: Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss, plus with a US-based restoration specialist on your team. You won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
1: Okay, we're back. Six of the Barcelona team in 2011 were trained in the Cantera. We're going to imagine perfect assimilation. So when we consider these Manchester City players, we're going to imagine that that they would all assimilate perfectly into the system, almost as if they had been trained at the Canterra. So much more Dani Alves and David Villa than Zlatan Ibrahimovic or Alexander Kleb or any of the other guys that didn't quite mesh um, as well. We know the team that started at Wembley, Victor Valdez, Dani Alves, Javi Mascherano, Gerard Piquet, Eric Abadal, Sergio Busquets, Xavi, Andres Iniesta, David Villa, Leo Messi and Pedro. When it comes to City, it's really hard, I think, to predict a starting eleven. So I'm going to give you loads of choices and let's just see if any of them even come into contention to break into a team that many people think was the best they ever saw. Let's start with the, the goalkeeper. Um,
2: Graham Hunter, I know that you're a Victor Valdez fan. What do you think of Ederson in comparison? Um, look, I'll start by saying that it, although it's an interesting exercise, I think everybody who's watched both teams is going to find it very hard to put a City player in that Barça 11. Um, this is an interesting one, admittedly, because one of the key things that Victor Valdez had above and beyond the fact that he was a a pretty good goalkeeper. And the other thing that stands out is that he's an extraordinary character. Not easy, but in terms of um, winner's mentality, competitive attitude, aggression, um, he's, he's high up the list. But Edison shares with him this ability to play football and the ability to understand, people call it playing out from the back. I'm not certain that Pip uses that term much. What he wants is to have 11 footballers, and he wants, once City are trying to draw, and Barcelona were, trying to draw their opponents into places that they shouldn't be, and then beat that first line of pressure, he sees it as being a, you know, a five or six man passing exercise. And one of the players isn't a goalkeeper. He's just a good receiver and passer of the ball who can help you break the first line of. So, playing out from the back signifies the idea that instead of kicking long, you're gonna pass it out and go directly up the pitch. And that's not what Guardiola is doing. And therefore, Ederson's place in this argument becomes quite significant because he's, He's much bigger, taller, more robust than than Valdez. And in the modern game, although referees and the FIFA laws, the IFAB laws, give much more protection to goalkeepers, there's a degree of which, if you look back at the way in which John Terry and Carvalho blocked uh, Valdez in the Chelsea game under Mourinho when Barcelona under Rijkaard were knocked out, you know, blocking off of goalkeepers still happens. Um, Barcelona lost out a goal recently where um, Ter Stegen made out that he was being shoved around by, I think, Terry Correa. It was, that's off the top of my head, memory-wise. And you don't really do that very much to Ederson. So I think there's an argument here. There's a real argument because you, you, you're, you're talking about two footballers who share so many composite ideas that Pep has that if Pep was in this discussion, maybe he'd pick Ederson. So, for, you know, for the want of an argument and for the want of... I'm really glad you let me go first because, you know, tough shit on Pete now trying to find the next City player who's going to get into that charting 11. But I, I'm going to cheat and say that even though in sentiment terms, I would always pick Victor Valdes. And I, I, happily, I know him better than, than poor old Ederson. But yeah, yeah maybe... maybe. Sort of, kind of, yeah. Edison. Pete, I'm going to give you the entire back four to see if you can
1: find a way in here. So we have Kyle Walker playing off against Dani Alves, Mascherano and Piquet against any two from Stones, Diaz and Laporte, and then Eric Abadal versus Alexander Shin- Shinchenko. I don't know if you can find any cracks in the 2011 defence
3: well the obvious one but you're not allowing us to do it is to put Ruben Diaz in alongside Piquet. yes you can you, you, you don't have
1: to slot it's not yeah. 4 for four. Any, any one of those that you like go for it
3: yeah I mean Ruben Diaz has had a, has had a brilliant brilliant season first season at City and sometimes um, to judge how well a player has done the best thing to do is to look at the player next to him and you look at John Stones and how John Stones has improved this season with Ruben Diaz alongside him um, and Mascherano was always, it was always a make-do. It was a brilliant make-do. And it made do for for, for at least three seasons. Um, but Ruben Diaz is, is, uh, is, a, is a defender um, through and through. And, I mean, if you're going to force us to pick somebody, then I think, um, I don't completely disagree with Graham, actually, because I think with Valdez, it always found like it was hard for him to do what he ended up doing. Uh, and there's that brilliant moment in the book and, and the film that, that Graham's behind of Valdez being sat down by Pep and being told, you know, this is how we're going to play. That you know, um, Pique and um, Pique and Pujol are going to be on the uh, basically on the touchline. You're going to pass them. And Valdez uh, said that again. Um, <laughs> he said, even so,
2: I, I forgot that." He says it sounded Chinese to me. <laughs>
3: exactly. Yeah. Um, so. You know, I mean, he, although he came to Lamasia, and, and he and he would have been, he would have been capable um, with his feet. Um, I still think he found it hard to play the extreme sport that Pep wanted them to play. And 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 who knows? Uh, yeah, maybe Graham's right um, um, in, in terms of, of who Pep would pick as his goalkeeper. Sentiment aside, but I think Ruben Diaz would be would be my choice of the City defenders to get into that Barca, Barca defense. Wouldn't go with anyone other than Abidal. Alves is the best right-back I've ever seen um, and you're not going to take PK out but we'll slip Diaz in there.
1: State team are doing better than I thought already. Um, okay, I want you both to contribute to the midfield because you both saw so much of them and they're such a legendary um, sort of trio at this point. So Vizquets, Xavi and Iniesta almost roll off the tongue as if they were one entity. Um, Pep has accumulated a thousand midfielders at City and, you know, they're pretty much all remarkable. So you guys can take anybody from Ferrandino, Rodri, Gunduan, Foden, De Bruyne, Bernardo Silva. Do any of them do any better than first replacement for those three?
2: Allow me to retort. Um, Our man from Inglewood says, uh, look, just let's cut to the chase. No. Um, Not only for that match, but Busquets, Iniesta and Chabi aren't you know, as you joke, they aren't that far from a single thinking, breathing, reacting planning unit, and my contention, although I've never asked them you, you and I sat in, when we did the Ilkay Gundogan interview recently, Gundogan's eyes lit up, he was still reverential about the Barcelona midfield that he saw and his one dream at um you know at Bochum and subsequently at um, Dortmund was was t- to try and play for Pep in that Barcelona team i think if you sat Gundogan down and said would you you know be a natural swap for prime busquets iniesta and xavi in that 2011 team i think he would say no and and i i'm, I'm going to argue now to to to, to cut to the chase from my perspective, there might come a time when Foden is a yes, but now it's too soon. Rodri has um, has I, I don't enjoy watching Rodri for Spain. Um, I think he's become a little slower, a little bit more cumbersome. I think he's, you know, he's two three kilos not light enough, and and he doesn't see or pass like Busquets. He's impressive. He's a guy who can make a difference um, tomorrow, but does he unseat prime Brisquets? No, that idea is nonsensical. And you can keep going through Bernardo Silva if you want. It, it doesn't really matter until the three of us come to De Bruyne. And you, Unpicho Raro, is he a midfielder? Is he an attacker? Is he a 10? Can he play wide? So. That's where I think the next part of this chat is going, um, because I, I'm gonna I'm gonna just take my life in my hands and say that Messi stays in in this hybrid team. There, there, there you go. It's a big call, but well, listen, I, I've got the cojones for it. So there we are, Peter. We're, that, that's where you, you we're left with two players. Well, you, there, you just a, said a... produce pet perfection.
3: The possible solution is that. Me, me, and you both, Graham, seen Andres Iniesta play in the front three and brilliantly, and do it brilliantly many, many times. And you know that I, I would make the argument that you put De Bruyne in there, um, and you can de, put De Bruyne behind Iniesta, or you can put Iniesta behind De Bruyne. But you somehow get De Bruyne into that team because, um, you know, I said it was perfection earlier, and Pep would certainly call it perfection, but. If there's one way you could improve and it, it, will be putting De Bruyne, De Bruyne in there. So what we what, what say, De Bruyne are in for Iniesta and Iniesta ends up in the front three. Um, and um, where they end up at any given moment in the game is, is another story.
2: Which leaves us with 12 players at the moment, Rafa Benitez style. You are aware that we've currently got 12 players, yeah? Pete correctly talked about Pedro and Villa being part of Pet Perfection either side of Messi. Both of them score...
3: Here goes to me. I, I, Pedro is one of the most underrated footballers that's ever been born, and there's there's a, there's a great um, there's a great show on 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 Spanish. Um, in fact, it's a, it's a, it's an internet thing on, in Spanish in Spanish uh, sports journalism that basically rips rips the piss out of um, you know the the, the, the the markers and the asses and that and and the chiringita shows and that and um, they basically soundbite. Um, various things through through the, through the season that they hear and one of them that they hear is, um, is someone on Turingita I think saying and, and, um, and Pedro is better than Neymar and they all laugh about it but actually you know what I wouldn't mind I'd go with Pedro ahead of Neymar in my team especially for a final he's going to score he's going to get two chances he's going to put one of them away so you're not, I'm not taking Pedro out of the team so David Villa is, is the player that has to go for me so you end up with Busquets, Xavi De Bruyne, Iniesta, Pedro, Messi.
2: Yeah, listen, I don't think you can win this argument. It's left me. I mean, I'm not just participating in this. I'm genuinely bereft. And and I you know, you doubt yourself when you begin. I suppose it's one of the ways we can feel linked to to managers who tell us not every manager but elite managers who say I remember Ferguson talking about having to leave Park out of one of these games and Park's parents had come over from Korea and he he had to say to them listen your boy's not playing and he talked about how you know one of the toughest guys that's ever kicked a ball or managed mentioning that it really stung him that really hurt him and they you know Zidane makes a big fuss about that about hating leaving players out and I'm beginning to feel the same way because I feel a really strong affection to these people because they changed our life. You, me, and Pete—not not one of us is a boss or a supporter—but they changed our lives. They changed our careers. They changed our articulacy. They gave us completely new horizons. They've ensured for Pete and I that you know life in Spain was viable. Uh, more more viable than it had previously been, and the enjoyment for uh, the three of us and everybody who's listening in terms of the quality of football they played. So, and now we're going to drop one of them? Ben 365, you you know, for shame. That's uh, that's all I'm saying there. I don't know, you're not supposed to say that to sponsors, but for shame. Leave them alone. Hands off. There you go, and I've dodged saying who I think gets dropped.
3: Only the highest goal scorer in Spanish football history not a bad first sub
1: apologies to Raheem Sterling and Riyad Mahrez who didn't even get a look in either side of the, uh, the one banker pick um, up front but uh, I think the point has been made that was really really good fun thank you both of you for your contribution there I enjoyed
2: I'm down that in, I'm down in the dumps you, you might have enjoyed it but I did oh, I'm down time. in the dumps that was a lot of fun um, to round things
1: off we had three socios who wanted to talk about broadly connected themes. Here's Tom Lee first.
0: Hi, Graham and Pete. Associate uh, Tom Lee here with one with regards to this year's Champions League final. What I'd like to know is, in your
2: opinion, if not tarnished or devalued, is there at least a question mark over this year's game contested between Manchester City and Chelsea, given that the aforementioned side backed by a sovereign wealth fund with a questionable human rights record up against a team who are backed by a Russian oligarch no less so it's not exactly the magic and the romance of the cup I'm not saying other teams haven't spent big to get to the the top uh, table on the biggest stage uh, but this really is the most overt example I would suggest of teams who well these two in particular if you think back into the not too distant past both of them could have gone to the wall had things gone differently here they are at the top table Question mark, yes or no?
1: As Stephen O'Reilly and uh, Jake Garlic also connected to Tom's point, Stephen was asking for your view on what he sees as a rather soulless end to a solo season, um, no fans for the majority of it, and now two super-rich clubs with kind of second-tier supporter bases being the last ones standing in this sort of war of attrition. And then Jake Garlic wonders whether Spain's top teams are now a level behind the super-rich Premier League teams, and I guess PSG as well, when it comes to um, competing for available superstars in each window and whether or not those Spanish teams are now handicapped
2: somewhat in this competition as a result. Stevens touched on something that um, is an antidote to how Morosa was feeling after that hybrid 11. I, I, I understand the argument, but I don't feel the same. For example, and I could pick on other matches but the, the the first leg of buying Paris Saint Germain, not soulless, I, I thought that game was utterly extraordinary. I, I mean, it ranks in the top 10 of games I've seen over the last 10 years. It was unusual, in, it was a, a slugfest, it was Jake Lamotta football, it wasn't controlled, it, it was totally open. It was punch and counter-punch. It it really did look as if Bayern might win 7-4. But in the end, I mean, again, Stephen, from memory, they lost 2-3 at home. Um, And and I would say that the the first leg of City-Paris-Saint-Germain, again, I, I thought it was immense. And the way in which... Paris Saint-Germain initially looked as if they were gonna if not pummel City, but they had their mark that they were still carrying verve and certainty into the game from the from the quarterfinal. And to watch the way that City sucked them into a game that Paris Saint-Germain didn't want to play. And then okay, in the interview I did Pep talked about like the minute details about where the wall breaks. How the ball from Maris goes through them. The fact that it, sh- you know, it should have hit the wall. It shouldn't have been a good flick, but free kick. But it is because of just the tiniest rotation of one of the bodies, in the wall. It, these things, um, I absolutely love them, I, and I, and I and I don't think it'll be a soulless end, and and I don't. The lack of fans affects all of us, but the I've the fact we've had football during this latter. ...year or or, or ten months of a world pandemic. I think it's an unappreciated miracle. I I can understand that a lot of um, people... ...in positions of governance in society... ...probably didn't want football to restart. And the fact that we haven't had... ...mass numbers of fans conglomerating outside stadiums... ...the fact that the players and the physios... ...and the wives and the kids and the managers have all been willing to take massive risks with COVID. COVID kills. You know, footballers have... I, I want to relate solace to... to Simeone, it, to me, I've been arguing, had a par season because they should have won the league. But he, he raised it, to, to my taste, Stephen, to, to four under par with his discourse after winning the, the final game. And lifting the league. And he talked about, this is different, this is special because we've lost people. This is for the fans who've died. This is for the people that we at this club know personally who haven't made it through. That's right. And there will be some people across the world and in the communities that we share who take succour from having had football these last 10 months. And And I think it's been amazing. Genuinely amazing. I'll never forget these... These months, and it's not the same without fans, and it hurts to see empty stadiums. And I think we've 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 taken our footballers and and just about everybody involved them and and run them dry. And I, and I I think somebody's got like Inigo Martinez pulling out of the Spain squad the other day, saying I'm neither physically nor you know emotionally correct to go and play a tournament. Well done. Now watch others come out and say that. Because we're squeezing the last drops up our footballers. But I that just I just view Stephen with total respect for what you said, I just view it completely differently. And that's that's from the heart. I can't believe what football's achieved since certainly in Spain, since June last year when it restarted. I I, I find it an unregistered, unpraised sporting miracle and social miracle, I think. Pete, I'll ask you about the Spanish angle
1: in a minute, but Graham, just to come back to the other side of Stephen's point, which was, I guess, the difference, and on a sort of long-term post covid review, the difference between a final like the one that we mentioned between legacy superpowers, uh, Barcelona and Manchester United, compared to Manchester City and Chelsea, who, uh, for a short, a shorthand, you know, the nouveau riche, with, with less sort of history in the competition, does it matter
2: to you? No, I... Listen, I think um, th- there needs to be a culpability and accountability in football. Barcelona have made a fucking pig's breakfast of, of what they've been doing in, in recent seasons and it's come home to roost. The socios, the members, need to take responsibility because they voted for Bartomeu and Rosé over the last decade and, and this is what's happened. And it's it's a desperate situation and Barcelona will be different for a short period, and they will be financially strapped for a longer period. I don't believe that Madrid are in the same position. they patently lost, you know, hundreds of millions because of the, the circumstances. However, they, they've they made uh, fewer misspends. They had a couple of summers where the actual outlay wasn't gigantic. Um... The stadium is costing them a lot, but it's going to become, when times are normal and it's completed, a massive, massive revenue generator. And I think that Madrid's ability to cope is going to become m- more robust than Barcelona's. And the other clubs in Spain weren't mentioned by, by Tom or Jake or Stephen, but I think a lot of them have had governance w- which and, and have had outlays whereby the losses are going to be slightly easier to sustain not to be able to compete with Paris Saint-Germain or Manchester City or Chelsea clearly not, no but um, when you see Inter winning the title uh, for the first time in I, I don't know how many years since 11 years since 2010 I think and immediately telling Conte there's going to have to be wage cuts and we're going to have to sell players that group of clubs that, that the lads mentioned is, a, is becoming an increasingly small group and it might be that uh, Barcelona and Real Madrid's plight is exacerbated further if UEFA, have opened disciplinary proceedings against them, eliminate them from the Champions League for a year or two as a punishment for the half-wit European Half-Wit League, which, frankly, is what should happen. So there's got to be differences. And I think that the Phoenix element at Barcelona has to be for good, because they've lost their their core values and they've lost their 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 Cruyff bible, and that has to be restored because that's now part of the identity of the club, um, like it or not for for time immemorial in my opinion. So, you know, to to some extent in Barcelona's case, tough shit, and for Real Madrid, I think that no matter how loudly they complain about not being able to buy Haaland this year, and and Florentino rushing into the Super League because he thought he could get the you know the investment money, uh, venture capitalist money, quickly and buy Haaland and Mbappe You know, okay, you 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 grab what you can if you're in a, if you're in an all stakes poker game. You, you you grab the cards you think are yours. But um, I think their their recuperation will be much much quicker, and there will be a time simply when yeah the the, the state funded clubs are gonna have to, are, will be able to out buy, but will they be able to out train, out play, out plan? That's a different question.
3: Yeah, in terms of um, what Graham was saying about the, the the social and the sporting achievement of getting football back on, I don't think it can be estimated how important the players have been in this and how difficult it's been with them to play without, without supporters, without an audience. But I spoke to Alberto Moreno before the, before the Europa League final and he said that when he ran out um, against Sevilla, the first game with fans back for Villarreal, there weren't many there, but he said the hairs on the, neck, on the back of his neck stood up. You know, it was, it, was, it was a shock as well, having, having been for, without them for so long. But, you know, it's like going into the gym and there's no one there. And you think, oh, shit, I've got to motivate myself for this one. Um, we can't underestimate how... And some matches have been played as if there were 100,000 people shouting at the top of their voices. And that's a huge, huge credit to the, to the players. It really is. Because it doesn't matter how much you get paid. It doesn't change the fact that um, you're motivating yourself in this sort of situation. Um, and the other thing about um, it being soulless, because I think part of the point of the question was, yeah, the, these super-rich clubs um, reaching the final, I don't think they're all the same. I don't think you can put, for example, the last four teams in the Euro, in the Champions League, Real Madrid, PSG, Chelsea and Man City, yeah, they've all got an endless supply of money, um, um, but they haven't all used it the same way. You know, and PSG are a club that... Um, weren't patient with Emery. Then they weren't patient with Tuchel. Now they've ended up with a manager who can't even win the French League. Um, Last season, they were beaten in the Champions League final by one of their former youth players who they didn't manage to keep hold of. Yeah, they spent lots of money, but on obvious players. They go out and uh, they get the the biggest player of of their neighbours, Monaco. They go out and get Mbappé. Then they go and spend 222 million euros on, on, on Neymar just because they can. And actually, that hasn't brought them the thing that they really want. Whereas clubs where a little bit more thought has gone into it, because yeah, Manchester City spend a lot of money, but Pep Guardiola goes out and buys four fullbacks. He doesn't just go out and buy the player that everyone's talking about, the player that's got 40 goals and has won the Ballon d'Or. Um, and Chelsea in a similar vein. And, and, and Chelsea will have Mason Mount on the pitch in the final and Foden will be there for City. So, you know, just having money is not enough and we have to give City and Chelsea some credit for what they've done with that money, um, who they've put in charge of making the decisions. At Real Madrid, no-one's in charge of making the decisions as far as signings are concerned. It's, it's, it's a mishmash of, of the president and, and who he decides to pick, the, to pick the phone up and speak to on, on any given day. So, um, City and Chelsea, Solas, well, there are degrees in everything. Um, They've got an awful lot of money, but they use it well. Um, And I think, like Graham, it'll be a great
1: final, despite the fact that we'd all rather play in in a full stadium. Thank you, gentlemen. that is all not just for this episode of The Big Interview, but for this season of The Big Interview. Thank you so much for listening, and especially to the socios, our members at patreon.com forward slash Graham Hunter who support us and provide the questions for these Q&A shows. But we will be back very, very, very soon. Graham, would you like to tell the nice people what's coming this summer?
2: Um, I'll have a little stab at it. Um, I'm gonna play lots of golf. Is, is that, that? It's not really that's what I'm really. like. Look, um, we're fortunate in that um, our sponsors, Bet Three Six Five, have supported the idea of us bringing daily content from the European Championships uh, to you, and it will be in a version of what we tried from the Russian World Cup, where I flew with this the squad or, or around that part of the continent and got to see training and so on and so forth. Um, I'm hoping and anticipating that there'll be some similarities this summer where training will be open, there'll be interviews with players and uh, as we stand, I'm, I'm at the matches too. So um, between uh, the lot of us, we'll be bringing you content that tries to tell you about the characters, the, the strategy, um the crisis management goes on during up close during a European Championship and looking at other games across the tournament where either by fluke I've had the chance to to speak to somebody or when it's one of the big games of this uh, summer coming up notably how it is that Scotland beat England at Wembley I think I've used the right tense there
1: Perfect, we look forward to that episode in particular So we'll see you guys at the Euros for now from Graham, from Pete, from Martin and I at Backpage. Thank you for listening this season. Have a lovely day and be careful out there.